Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the February 24th episode of Poets and Muses. We chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen Arate. You can follow us on SoundCloud, Instagram, as well as Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter now at the SoundCloud Poets and Muses page on the upper right-hand side. Our poet guest today is Tristan Marshall. Before we turn the mic to Tristan, however, I'm going to go over all the poetry events taking place in the Valley during the week of February 25th. On Tuesday, February 26th, from 6 to 8 p.m., Connect and Heal will be hosting its weekly poetry writing workshop at the Chandler Community Center, which is at 125 East Commonwealth Avenue in Chandler. From 6.30 to 9.30 p.m., Nocturnal, the Poet and the Poor People's Campaign will be hosting its monthly The Art of Justice Open Mic and Art Show at First Church, which is at 1407 North 2nd Street in Phoenix. The entrance is through the parking lot. From 9 to 11 p.m., Ken Kong is hosting his weekly The Underground Experience at 2601 on Central, which is at 2601 North Central Avenue in Phoenix. Doors open at 7.30. On Tuesday, February 27th, from 12.30 to 2.30 p.m., Lauren Drexler of Gen Society will be hosting the Mesa Prototyping Project Poetry Workshop at Mesa Art Space Lofts, which is at 155 South Hibbert in Mesa. From 8 to 11 p.m., Poetic Soul Phoenix will be hosting its weekly open mic at Club Downtown, which is at 702 North Central Avenue in Phoenix. Signing up to be on the mic starts at 7 p.m. On Thursday, February 28th, from 6.30 to 8.30, Changing Hands Bookstore will be hosting the second part of the two-part writing workshop with Jaredith Marin called Poetic Imagery and Insight. And Changing Hands Bookstore is located at 6428 South McClintock Drive in Tempe. On Friday, March 1st, from 6.30 to 9.30 p.m., Rosemary Jana will be hosting the First Friday Poetry on Roosevelt Row at Local First Arizona, which is at 407 East Roosevelt Street in Phoenix. From 7 to 9 p.m., Tomas Stanton and Lady Caress will be co-hosting the Expressions at ASU Gamage Open Mic Night, and that's at ASU Gamage at 1200 South Forest Avenue in Tempe. Signing up for the mic starts at 6.30 p.m. On Saturday, March 2nd, from 5 to 9 p.m., Arizona Talking Drum Performance Studio Network will be hosting its Africa to America Fashionista at Carl Hayden Community High School, which is at 3333 West Roosevelt Street in Phoenix. If you are a youth participant, you can sign up by texting 480-225-2808. Please note that the normal Monday evening speakeasy at Cafe Tuba coffee shop is on hold because Khalifa, who normally hosts it, unfortunately his car got stolen, which included all the supplies he needed for the coffee shop. So please get in touch with him to lend a hand to help him build up his coffee shop again. I'm including his email contact information in this episode's notes. You can also reach him via the Cafe Tuba African Coffee Shop Facebook page. 
And now let us turn to our poet guest of the week, Tristan Marshall. Hi, Tristan. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Music. Thank you for having me. Of course. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. You mean poetry-wise? Whatever you want us to know. Okay. I started writing poetry in 1976 because I was forced to by Nancy Woodruff, who was my English teacher at the time. Okay. And evidently I was okay. <laughs> So more than that. I've been writing a lot of really bad poetry since 1976, mm -hmm. and I get the occasional flash of brilliance. Mm -hmm. I try only to share the flashes of brilliance. With we appreciate you. that. <laughs> Thank you very much for sharing that. And have you gone, gone back to thanking Nancy at some point? Very strange story. Mm -hmm. Years later, I'm working in Prescott at the record store up there, and I had an employee invited myself and my first wife to a dinner with him and his new girlfriend and we came down to Phoenix to this dinner and lo and behold his new girlfriend's mother is Nancy Wood my English teacher <laughs> small world yes Okay, cool, cool. you grew up in the area though. no I was an Air Force brat so okay. I really didn't come to the States until I was 13 mm -hmm. 12 13 Okay. And then uh, we moved around a bit. We ended up here in 1975. Mm -hmm. And in 1977, I was 17, I joined the Navy. And okay. I went away right. for six years. Okay. And then for some reason, my dad retired here. So this is where I came back to. Okay. Nice to meet your first the force that drove you to poetry. I think I'd always been into poetry. I used to walk and make up songs in my head. Okay. I had just never written anything down. Okay. And then when I started writing things down, I couldn't stop. I know the feeling. Does she know that you you wrote songs? I mean, or you thought of songs in your head? Is that why you... She she forced you? No, we actually had a, a little poetry pod in English class. Mm -hmm. My junior year, I had to take two English classes because I failed the year before, and I needed to graduate. But she made us write poetry, and... So I wrote a couple of uh, lame poems, mm. and she thought they were great. I thought they were lame. <laughs> but then I won the I won second, third, and two honorable mentions in our poetry contest, right. and that made me think that maybe I'm not too horrible. So mm. I kept writing. Awesome. Well, I thank Nancy. So you brought for us today your poem "Horses." Would you like to read that for us? Okay. In this waking dream, there were horses. There have always been horses. I hear their soft breathing in the dead of night, their hoofbeats keeping time with my heart, line upon line, helmed, lances flashing in sunlight, then lowered to charge like lightning, synchronized. Then I remember the screaming, nostrils flaring as they are jettisoned from slaver ships, as their throats are cut and pushed down cliff sides. Now the field and the sea conspire against me, the world conspires against me, and you still wish to hold me. As wild horses, silver buckled in chains, stable my desires to roam and rein in my emancipation. In formations, ranked, soul kicking and shouting to the Third Battle of Nogales, up San Juan Hill, to Baklavan, the Crimean War, and Waterloo. So under my cracked and worn leather jacket, I strap knives and razor blades to my chest and arms. My eyes flick menace, little switchblades of cut freedom, and you still wish to embrace me. Stay your distance. Avoid the stampede of vengeful Mustangs, metal shod, trampling my collected dreams into dust. There has been and always will be collateral damage. The crushed souls of our friends and family litter my wake. 
No matter your reason, ideals, or the strength of your love, you are no different. I will regret passing in the calm between storms as the seventh wave builds equine tidal. As the foam-flecked herd circles back upon me, I am still a maverick, untamed, unbroken, and you still wish to love me. Only when Poseidon blows his horn, calling wave and riders, will I throw off my edges and the orchid on my wrist. Aaron Ryder accepted as if I had never left. The martial clan assembled to brigade cavalry fold, and I will proudly stand to fight with all of you. Amassed in squadrons, pan-Atlantic family tree, standing beside our sons and daughters, standing beside our mothers and fathers, through calm and storm-ridden seas, the canter and thundering of hooves, through right and wrong and undecided, the tossing of manes, the creak of polished leather, sword clashed against shield, defying slavery's chains, as we ride, resolute, strong, of one heart, one mind, one love. First Regiment of Lifeguards, 10th Cavalry Buffalo Soldier, England and Africa, unconditional. In this waking dream, there are horses. There have always been horses. Thank you. It's a very powerful poem that is full of not only just the imagery of horses and sea and different conflicts throughout time and geography, but also references to a lot of history that we don't really know about or we're not taught in your everyday education. And you make some references to this history, but very subtle, very like oblique references. Do you want to tell us, first of all, what made you write this particular poem? I've always been fascinated with uh, Tennyson's Charge of the Light Brigade, mm. which was the first regiment of lifeguards. My mother is English, mm -hmm. so I have an English history. Mm -hmm. My father is African-American, mm -hmm. and I've I think at about the time I started writing this, I found out that I had an ancestor who was a buffalo soldier. Mm. So that puts horses to both sides of my family tree. Mm. And then I realized that there were a lot of horse references and things in my life. Mm. Um, the Doors Horse Latitudes, Patti Smith's Horses, mm -hmm. which I obliquely refer to in this. And then there were a lot of things that happened to horses that happened to slaves coming over from Africa. Mm -hmm. The jettisoning of cargo. Mm -hmm. So yes. as in horse latitudes are throwing the horses over to, okay. to lighten the ship. Okay. And the horses are driving. Well, they used to do that sometimes with the slaves. Right. And then ships would go down, and of course everybody still chained inside. Yeah. Well, that was um, what the famous movie Amistad was about. Amistad, yes, right there. Mm -hmm. And then other things happened to, to say horses. Uh, the first regiment of lifeguards are pushed back to the cliffs. Mm -hmm. And... They're going to need to retreat, but there are ships to take the men, but not the horses. Mm. So they didn't want the horses to fall into the enemy's hands. Right. So they couldn't ride them, and they also didn't want them to eat them. Mm. So they cut their horses' throats and pushed them down the cliffside so the enemy couldn't get their horses. And it's like, you have to do that to your own horse. Mm. Hey, that's kind of horrible, but I understand that. It's just horses are in everything. The world was built a lot with horses. Mm -hmm. Horses changed the entire world. Yes. Whether you're talking just European or even if you're talking Asia, I mean, Genghis Khan and being able to shoot arrows from the back of a horse mm -hmm. changed warfare completely yeah. and they were unstoppable. Yeah. And here in uh, First Nation in the United States, well, North and South America as well, horses changed. When they brought over those big dogs, they, they thought of them as big dogs. Mm. Horses changed. Native American culture. 
I mean, you think the Sioux and so on, that horses have always been part of their culture, but they yeah. haven't. Yeah, yeah very new. Those horses that got away from the Spanish and got away from everybody else. Yeah, yeah. It's really amazing. It changed the way that they fought as well. I mean, they became very well known as horseback soldiers, basically. And you also talked about Buffalo Soldiers, not only because of your father's side history. I wasn't sure in like your second stanza if you were referring both to African Americans and also what's called the quote-unquote color regiments in the British. No, I actually wasn't referring to that. I pretty much just referred to Buffalo Soldiers. Um, You hear about uh, Teddy Roosevelt going up San Juan Hill, but nobody ever talks about really that he had Buffalo Soldiers with him. Mm -hmm. He had African Americans with him. And then here in Arizona, the first battle of Nogales. I think it's the, the only battle. Uh, there was only like one battle in Arizona from the um, uh, the war we had with Mexico at that time, and it actually happened here in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And it was Buffalo Soldiers. Mm-hmm. Buffalo Soldiers spent a lot of time here, of course, hunting down rebel Apaches and so on like that. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's the sort of the nuance of history. They were very proud and they wanted to prove their worth to a government who obviously never valued them right. for what they were. And they were very, very well known for their bravery against the Apache, which is ironic now from where we're standing in history looking back at right. that. It was really great to see you refer to that, but as I said, it's very subtle. And in the poem itself, I mean, I think you, you mentioned slavery or a version of the word. Uh, maybe like two or three times in, in total. And it was a page and a half, very densely written poem. Too. It was great because, you know, it gave, gave me a chance to look up a bunch of things. That, it just happened that I had read about Buffalo Soldiers a few years back. And so I was thinking, is that what he was talking about? So it was really interesting to look that up and reference that again. I am kind of a history buff. I am a knowledge buff. Mm-hmm. I like to learn something all the time. Right. I will go and look up something on the computer just for one specific thing, mm-hmm. and then I will jot it down in my notes, and then I will continue. Right. And I will end up so far away from where I started, but I will have <laughs> this wealth of knowledge and trivia put in my head that I possibly never, ever use, mm-hmm. but it's there. That's the same way I am. Like, when, when I was reading about the Buffalo Soldiers, I was not doing any specific research. I just happened upon it. I don't even remember how that particular article, online article, came to my purview, but I read it, and it was a pretty long read, and it was really amazing to see that part of American history that is not talked about at all. And I had interviewed someone recently where we were talking about the shortfall in the representation of non-European descent people in American media, especially in costume drama, because the excuse is, oh, they weren't there, which is not true at all. That's interesting you should say that. I enjoy cowboy poetry. Mm-hmm. And a huge amount of the beginning of cowboy culture mm-hmm. was, of course, there was the Spanish, mm-hmm. the gauchos, the caros. Uh, there were a huge amount of black men, freed slaves and freedmen, that were some of our original cowboys. Mm-hmm. And you watch any of those movies, and there's not a face of color in any of those old cowboy movies. Mm. And it's like... Blazing Saddles. <laughs> Still, he was the only one. Uh, Cleveland Little, the token black man, yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, 
And yeah, and that tradition continues. I, I forget, uh, just recently, The Daily Show has showcased um, uh, urban training. I think it's in Detroit. I may be remembering this wrong, but I'll try to have the link in the episode notes um, to help deal with uh, living in ghettoized situations and, and all the all the dangers that comes with that. Living in an underserved community, someone has started an urban cowboy movement, and those cowboys go to all those shows where they ride horses, or actually they ride bulls. Oh, so them. we're talking about rodeos. Yeah, yeah. So so they train on the horses, but then they also go to rodeos because they are real cowboys. They're not mm-hmm. just riding in the streets, urban streets on their. We horses. actually have a uh, African American or a black rodeo that occurs. Mistake. Oh, maybe that's the one they went to. I gotta go back to that clip. And it's really recent. I don't know if you've watched The Daily Show, but it's over the last month, that particular show that I saw. It's strange, right? Just things that just come, information that you gather over the years, and somehow they all become useful. As they all become topic. useful, or if you start thinking about a subject, say if I decided to start writing, which I have written a, a poem about butterflies, mm. all of a sudden, things about butterflies will start popping into my media. It's almost like somebody is reading my mind and saying, yeah, I think you'll enjoy this one. Enjoy <laughs> I this think one. it's Google. It's their algorithms. I, I found that where one day I had written a poem about something, and the next day that particular, I think it was arachnids. Um, I had mentioned spiders in my poem. The next day there were articles about arachnids. And I'm like, okay, Google, seriously, this is... A bit of an invasion because I didn't write it online. I wrote it offline. But that's that's a totally different topic. But you know, it's it's nice because we get to learn more about the topic that we're researching as poets. We do we research as well when, when we write. This poem, along with the butterfly poem I'm mentioning, this is maybe four hundred words long, mm. maybe five hundred. I probably have two thousand, three thousand words in notes. Wow. to go to this poem. Right. Every bit of terminology you can deal with in horses and then bits of articles and ideas that have brought me to this point. And then you write the poem and you realize that you used maybe 10% of your notes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think over time, right, you might, I mean, they'll come into your purview again as you write something else. I have enough ideas on horses to write another four or five poems that just come from a different angle. Right. Maybe you can do a book on horse poems or horse related, horse theme, horse as a central axiom. Perhaps. Mm-hmm. Perhaps. <laughs> I, I dabble with cowboy poetry mm-hmm. and I could probably put horses in there. I don't do straight cowboy poetry, I twist cowboy poetry. Yeah, cool, cool. Just like you twist this one. This is really great. I want to ask you about some of these. Specific towards the end of the first stanza, you talked about as they are jettisoned from slavers' ships. In the beginning, you just talked about horses and people just reading this without the knowledge of the buffalo soldiers or slavery. Really, I don't know if they would notice that when you say they at this time. Am I correct in assuming that you suddenly are talking about slaves? I am referring to both horses and slaves. I'm right. throwing the slavery thing in a little bit sideways with the right, horses. Right. Because they were treated pretty much in the same way as chattel, basically. And, and Correct. They were a useful tool, and um, if they needed to get rid of them, they worked without them. But once you got to the New World, horses as well as people were pack animals. They were slaves. They were a tool. Mm-hmm. You know that you can deal 
with stuff without that tool, but it's so much easier if you have that tool. Mm-hmm. And they didn't, they obviously didn't treat their tools, whether animal or human, well. Right. <laughs> so, so we can certainly stay on this topic for the rest of the day. Well, I'm going to go on to the second stanza where you talked about my eyes flick menace, little switchblades of cut freedom. I felt like maybe the cut switchblades will cut freedom. There was some, a story behind that. Is there... That and the line before it. Uh, I strap knives and razor blades to my chest and arms mm-hmm. comes from Patty Smith's poem Horses. Okay. Where the kid gets pushed up against the locker and he opens up his jacket and he's got switchblades and knives strapped to his chest oh. as as a ribcage. Mm-hmm. And that's really where that part comes from. Okay. It's a little bit about fighting back mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and being a rebel. Yeah, yeah. And that theme continues throughout. And I feel like you go full out on that like towards the end, back into last stanza. I think when you were saying a mass in squadrons, pan-Atlantic family tree, and, you know, you're still referencing history, but you're talking more and more like we're going to fight back and we're going to, and you say, define slavery's chains, all of these things. So it's great to see that progression, not only the reference from horses, switching from horses to slavery, but also to talk about the bravery of the men who... There's another little twist on it. The last name, Marshall. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a slave name. Mm. It would have been A-L originally. It was Scottish slave owners Mm -hmm. that my family originally took the name from. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's been misspelled twice, Mm. added the extra L. And then when my dad was born, his birth certificate, they wrote E-L-L instead of A-L-L, like the rest of his family. Mm. And he spelled his name A-L-L all his life Mm. until he joined the military. And they said, hey, it says E-L-L on your birth certificate. That's what it's got to be. So that's why we have ELL. Well, Marshall comes from Horse Marshall, Mm. which is the guy in charge of cavalry, Mm -hmm. which is where the horses kind of comes from. That's where I'm talking about cavalry. I talk about going off on my own and being kind of a rebel or a maverick. But when your family needs you, you come back to the family. Right. When the group needs you. You can be an individual. Right. But no matter what you're doing, you're still part of that group. Right, right. And sometimes it's it's other people putting you in that group, not necessarily voluntarily. They see you and then they say, well, you got to belong to that group without knowing the individual that you are. Yes. I reference that in another poem where um, sometimes I'm too black and not white enough. And sometimes I'm too white and not black enough. Right. It all depends on who you're talking to as to which group they put you in. Right. Hopefully in this day and age, you don't have to be put into a group. Hopefully. But you're <laughs> going to be put in a group. Yeah. Well, we're working on it. Yes. And going back to other references, so when you were talking about collateral damage in the third stanza, I guess you were referencing what you talked about in the beginning, which is when they were back to the edge of a cliff and they had to kill their horses. But in terms of people, in terms of slavery, did you have a meaning for that as well? I joined the military very young. I was a grade ahead in high school. Mm-hmm. So um, I joined the military at 17. That wasn't really to get away from my family, Mm -hmm. but eventually it did. Mm -hmm. I needed to cut ties and see the world, which I did. And then I did some things that were horrible because it was my job. Mm -hmm. And that, when I came back, kept me distant from everybody. Uh, PTSD will do that. You can seem normal in most situations, but there are so many things out there that trigger you. And I learned to get over that in college psychology when I learned how to lucid dreams so I don't have nightmares. 
mm-hmm. and time has made the triggers in the world a little bit smaller. Yeah. It, it, it's easier, and I can recognize a trigger, and I can generally shut it off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or I put it in a poem, and then I don't have that trigger stuck in my head. It's, it's on, on the page now. Yeah, I hadn't written poetry for about 20 years before coming back to poetry, but then I became incredibly prolific over the past year, year and a half, and because of trauma that I went through. And I can pretty much tell I don't have the same degree of PTSD as I imagine someone who has seen combat have, but I have uh, some insight into it. So poetry has helped me immensely in its therapeutic value. If you get the demon out of your head and on the page, it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. There's less demons running around in your head. Yeah, yeah. It, it helps to figure things out in some way. So, yeah, that and therapy. <laughs> Loads of therapy. That's that's sometimes what poetry is, too. Yeah, it is. Um, because you're, you're going in and you're reading with people that have had traumas or things that they want to talk about. And it's not the same as yours, but no. you become part of a group and everybody's had some kind of something has affected their life. Right. And it just makes your family bigger. And the bigger the family you have, the more support you have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I've experienced in the last year. Doing more poetry, talking about poetry, sharing the poetry. And I, I see other people's pain points. And, and that's before even starting this, this podcast to talk about poetry. Talk about the stories and most likely the pain points that cause certain poems to be written. Going back to your poem, you have mentioned only when Poseidon blows his horn calling wave and writers will I throw off my edge and the orchid on my wrist. I wasn't too sure what that was referring to. I would love to hear. Poseidon is also deals with cavalry and horses. Oh, really? You think of him as an ocean. Right. Then there's a little bit in that wave and riders and Poseidon. Remember in the Lord of the Rings when Frodo has been stabbed and in the stupid movie when the wrong person is carrying him across the river. The river <laughs> comes up and its horse is all in the waves. There's that... There's also... Um, but that's not the only movie that has that. No, there, there's, there's other ones. There's, um, in Arthur, it's a ninth wave where the waves are horses. Mm, um, okay. And you have mentioned ninth wave, didn't you? I actually mentioned seventh because seven. I like the number seven. Ah, okay. Okay. And that used... That was a very long time ago. It was a password I used to use. Um, <laughs> but not anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. But yeah, horses in the sea because the, the waves are... Quite often, like horses coming. Yeah, I can I can see the imagery in my head, and I can't remember if it's an animation that had it, what it was. There's, there's several new movies. I want to say there's a good cartoon one that has spiders on on the waves, yeah. as well as of course the Lord of the Rings thing. Yeah, I can't I can't remember. I think it was a cartoon that I saw that had the crest of waves were horses. Were horses? Yes. Yeah. And that was it might have been like the last unicorn. I love that. It's really amazing and I really appreciate all these sort of covert history lessons that you're giving us. You know, the references to the first regiment of lifeguards, tenth Calvary Buffalo Soldier, and the England and Africa unconditional I guess that's that's just going back to your heritage. Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay. 
it's really great. And the poem that I have, though it doesn't talk about as heavy a subject as yours, I had chosen it because your poem had reminded me of not only the water, not only the ocean, and also animals and and this wild, untamed spirit, but also a poem that reads at first as one thing, and then when you go into it and you read it again, and then you notice the switch in language, the little codes. Triggers, as they were words that you put in, that it's really about something else as well. So I'm going to read my poem now, and it's called "The Pursuit." My curiosity is like the expansion of the universe, unleashing its tentacles to caress every particle it encounters. Or is that Kraken making its own reality as it creates space and time, manifesting a new destiny? Or is the intertwining of knowledge and desire to know non-binary begetting a hybrid progeny through permission and exploration? But what of this production, after the thirst of knowledge has been quenched, will wreckage be the only remnants left in its wake post-coidal satisfaction? I have to question you at the end. Mm-hmm. But what of this production after the thirst for knowledge has been quenched? A, this is a crack, and so we're just talking about the thirst for knowledge has been quenched on one tentacle, what's happening on the other tentacles. And second is, is the thirst for knowledge ever quenched? That's the thing. That's why I compare it to the expansion of the universe, right? It's not really something that can be reined in. In fact, on my way here, I was reading, because I'm really afraid of sending out incorrect information, even through poetry. So I was looking up uh, the expansion of the universe and thinking, uh, looking up cosmology a bit more. And in fact, the universe is expanding faster than physicists had realized uh, or had originally calculated. So now they're trying to figure out, they're looking at their formula again and seeing what explanations there could be and recalculating. This is all pretty recent. I I doubt we'll be around long enough for when the universe stretches too thin and snaps. (laughs) Hopefully it doesn't work like a rubber band. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of natural phenomenon that we really don't have good understanding, like the flipping of the magnetic poles. We have no idea what's going to happen <laughs> with that. Yes, but I, I've been waiting for that to happen, what, for like seven years now. Mm-hmm. See what happens, right? I think you had another, you had a, what was your question exactly? Well, about the thirst for knowledge being quenched. But I do like the wreckage and the remnants left in its wake. Mm. Because a kraken tends to destroy things. Yeah, yeah. And it's maybe we do that in, in the quest for knowledge, too. Because when you learn something, you have to destroy your old preconceptions. Yeah, your ignorance is also being destroyed. Correct, which is sometimes a sad thing because ignorance is bliss, right? It really is. Innocence is uh, ignorance in many ways. Yes, yes. Um, think unintelligent people have things a little bit easier sometimes. Because <laughs> the world is so much simpler, right? If you don't look at it uh, in a nuanced way, if you don't learn what needs to be learned to figure it out. And also, you know, because our capacity to understand is very limited. So no matter how much we know or we think we know, it's a small, tiny fraction of the totality of knowledge that human beings have. And that in itself is a small fraction of the totality of knowledge that there is. It's always interesting to see it that way and and see the different perspectives. 
and then also see people who are just patting themselves on the back because they have <laughs> degrees and degrees and or the so-called expert on something. Yes, uh, I've seen incredibly smart people that if they have to walk a block downtown, they would get hit by a bus. <laughs> Whereas people who uh, didn't even graduate second grade will not get hit by that bus mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because they understand the world mm -hmm. on a, a level that sometimes more intelligent people can't understand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in many ways, we each travel in, in a different world that sometimes overlaps, sometimes don't. So it makes understanding other people sometimes a challenge. Yes, I'm very empathic, but if I have to, I can turn that off. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about it on the walk across the parking lot. There are certain groups of Buddhist monks that say a prayer for every step because they could be stepping on an ant or a yeah. small animal or bug or something. So it's a prayer. Now, I know it's got to be a very short prayer. It's kind of like, oops, sorry, oops, sorry, oops, sorry for each step. <laughs> um, but if you think about it, it's kind of horrible. You don't want you tell a kid, don't, don't be stomping on those bugs. That's not good. But every step you take, you could be doing something like that. Can you think about that all the time? Can you have that guilt on your shoulders? No, you have to repress that. Yeah. We don't necessarily have to be as conscientious as a good Buddhist monk. But at the same time, I think just having their general regard for life, knowing that intuitively, or somebody had thought about enough about the world to realize that we all share the same fundamental structure and therefore we should without the benefit of the tools of modern day tools and scientific tools that we use to actually be able to prove that they believed in something that uh, scientists are proven these days mm -hmm. it's really interesting and it's good to have that not that i'm saying everybody should become buddhist <laughs> just that that philosophical regard for life, different forms of life, not put forms of life in some kind of a ladder, some kind of a scale. It, it is kind of put on a ladder and scale because we don't think the same about your antibacterial soap is killing bacteria. We don't think the same about ants, but if every step you were taking, you were stepping on a kitten, that'd be a whole different story. Yeah, that's the thing. I wish we regarded life as life rather than here's a life in a form that I think is adorable because it's soft and it purrs and it has big eyes and it looks up at me and, and it wants to be my companion and it can comfort me. Ultimately, it's all about what the person regarding it right. get out of that experience rather than, well, this is some ant or microbes that I don't have the chance to pet. Maybe shouldn't pet. Maybe it has to deal with size. I mean, tardigrades are, are so tiny, but they're cute. But they're microscopic, and they will outlive us all. Yeah, yeah. They're very hardy. <laughs> That's good you know that. Yeah. That's good you know that. That's yeah. Cool. I don't know enough about them. I think there was an exhibit at the American Museum of Natural History, which I completely missed, on tardigrades. Fortunately, there's Google. Yes. Google, you hear that? I want to start seeing articles about tardigrades. <laughs> Let's see. Google's probably listening. I, I asked Alexa the other day. I said, Alexa, are you listening? She says, I don't know that question. She was listening. <laughs> I explained to someone the other day that um, to be a well-balanced person, you have to have a bit of OCD. You have to be a bit paranoid. Mm. You have to be a bit schizophrenic. You have to have everything that we consider mental dysfunctions. You have to have all those things at a certain point. Because if you're not paranoid, you walk around the world going, da, 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 la, di, da. nothing's going to bother you. But Like a smirk. Yes. But Gargamel is hiding behind that bush. <laughs> you need to think about Gargamel. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> so I kick my OCD in whenever I have to, and I turn it off when I have to. Yeah, yeah, it does come in handy to a degree. Yeah, it really does. Every one of those, as long as it's not too high up on the spectrum, it's helpful in terms of living a balanced life. Mm -hmm. Just going back to the poems, you have other questions for me about that. A question. What's interesting about, you, you say, uh, the Kraken making its own reality as it creates space and time, manifesting a new death. Destiny. You're using the term Kraken, but I'm thinking more of Cthulhu because Cthulhu bends space and time, and he's very Kraken-like with all his tentacles and so on. What? I've heard Cthulhu. of that term, but I'm not sure. Okay, I need to go um, look it up again. Um, Cthulhu is one of the old gods. It's a uh, Lovecraft kind of thing. Okay, okay. i got to look that up. That sounds familiar. There was some movie recently where, oh, oh wait, have you seen Stranger Things? No. No. Um, Okay, so there are these huge tentacles are coming down out of the sky. Mm -hmm. uh, there was some other movie too. Anyway, Cthulhu is like a large Kraken mm -hmm. kind of beastie kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I know Kraken is a huge squid, but still it's the tentacles. Yeah. It's the whole tentacles going in different directions, which is what we do with our mind yes. all the time. Yeah. Your, your mind is going off in different directions. Every time you meet somebody, before you speak your first word to them, you've already gone through a thousand different scenarios Mm -hmm. of what to say first. Yeah. And then every time you say something, every moment has infinite possibilities from it. Right. Which are like tentacles coming out of your mind, going in some different directions. And you're touching things over here, and you're going, yeah, that's not a place to touch. And you go <laughs> over here. It's self-monitoring. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You could have inappropriate thoughts, and you have to suppress those all the time. I can't punch everybody I would like to punch. <laughs> So yeah. as a poet, if I need to, I can cut them to little pieces with words. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's a lot safer, and I don't need bail money for that. Exactly. Yeah, bail yes. money is, uh, I think it's probably higher than inflation. I'm not entirely sure. I've never been to jail. It's good. Yes. I've spent a fair amount of time in the brig, <laughs> but I've never been to actual jail. Good. Three days bread and water is a whole lot better than, you know, three to five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did I actually answer your question? No. <laughs> you asked me the question. We, we got off track on Cthulhu. Oh, okay, okay. So you were talking about maybe Cthulhu would be a better... Well, Cthulhu implies some evil because quite often the old gods mm. were considered evil because they're maybe immoral. Mm. It's like you can pray to an old god and the old god doesn't care. Yeah, there's a difference between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. Like a 180 almost, isn't there? Mm -hmm. And part of me using this image, but also the poem itself, talking about knowledge, I don't necessarily talk about knowledge in the positive sense in that particular poem. And though I'm not religious, I did think about the original sentence about whether or not certain knowledge is good. This particular one is about someone I have a crush on, so I don't feel like it's an appropriate thing to pursue. It's oh, that changes the last line a lot then. <laughs> I was taking post-coital satisfaction as in that kind of rush, that joy you feel about having and knowing something new. Yes, there definitely is that. It can be read in both ways, and that's the reason why the image, a sexual image, is not throughout the poem. It's not necessarily that, because even when you want to know a person, it's not always on the physical 
plane. It's depending on the time frame of the relationship, I suppose. That changed for me some 25 years ago. The whole physical thing went away, and my attraction to people is kindness, intelligence, creativity, with kindness being the number one. If you mm-hmm. don't have enough kindness, I don't care how smart you are or how creative you are, right. that kindness has to be up there. And then if you have enough kindness, I don't care whether you're stupid and you can't make God's eye out of string and popsicle sticks <laughs> if you're a beautiful person, you know? So I know truly beautiful people that are physically repulsive. Mm. And then I also know truly physically beautiful people that are mentally repulsive. Mm. And I just want to know kind, intelligent people. Yeah, it's not always, uh, <laughs> it doesn't always come in that combination. I know, yeah. I know. Yeah. But that's what poetry does generally as a general thing. Poets are a group of beautiful people. You've been to several different scenes around here. Mm-hmm. There are different poetry scenes and they all tend to overlap a little bit. Yeah. And I like to think that I'm one of the reasons that a lot of these things overlap because I go to everything. Uh, there are certain ones I get to all the time. Mm-hmm. I didn't get to Caffeine Corridor last night. No, didn't see you there. No, but I've been working a lot. That's no excuse. But I have I have other things <laughs> going. I'm going to be uh, coaching a youth team. Yes, seventh thank and eighth you. Graders. Bring that up. Yeah, I wanted to ask you where, where we can find you next and what you're up to. And... I don't know what I'm up to next. This right seventh and eighth graders, please, sorry. Don't mean to interrupt. Um, with... Kids are our future. Yes, that's it. And I've been missing the teaching bit for a while. Mm-hmm. Downtown, not too far from here, this place called the Lodestar Day Resource Center. It's next okay. to Cass, which okay. is the homeless shelter. Okay. I used to teach poetry there with, a, with my friend Faith. Started by Jessica. I would teach a poetry exercise and mm-hmm. then we would do an open mic. Mm, cool. And I really enjoyed that. I originally did it because I thought, oh, this is cool. I'm going to get a lot of poetry out of this. Mm-hmm. But no, I didn't get any poetry out of it. But I would come out of there and I would be super high for two hours, mm. two days, two mm. weeks, depending on the event and the people that were there. Right. And that's what I got out of it. It made me feel really good. Mm-hmm. And I kind of miss teaching. And kids, I think, want to learn. Yeah. These kids want to learn. They want to learn poetry. They want to learn how to do poetry in front of people. Mm-hmm. And they're really talented, too. Remind us the uh, name of the organization again. The event is going to be called Hotter Than the Sun. Okay. Suzanne is doing it. It is Masters of Poetry. Yeah, look up Masters of Poetry. That's where that stuff yeah, will be. Yeah, Masters of what? Arizona Poetry? It might oh. be Arizona Masters of Poetry. Yeah, the, the depth that they go into in their poetry is I've impressive. I've seen some of these kids, and, and I think if I was a good as good at poetry when I was their age, I would be a poet. Poetry God instead of just some pedestrian hack. (laughs) But yeah, some of them are are just brilliant, and you're thinking, wow, I thought Kiss was a cool band when they were when I was their age, and that's as deep as I got. (laughs) Kiss was a good band. My first concert, which dates me too. Kids these days have access to music from all the decades. You can just tend to be a gen. What letter are we on now? I I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Gen, gen, uh, gen infinity. Gen A, A. <laughs> are we back to the A's again? I don't know. No, you can just keep going. You keep going. You go to, uh, like, my tattoo says, I love you greater than infinity times four. <laughs> well, infinity is high as you get. Right. But you can say infinity plus one, mm-hmm. infinity plus two. 
it's still infinity, but right. it gets the point over that it can keep going. Yeah. yeah. Did you tell us when you're going to be doing the starting to teach these workshops? You know yet? Yeah, I wrote it down, <laughs> but I've been really, really busy lately with work. Okay. Oh, the 28th will be the first one I do at their school. Okay. Is it open to the public? Or? No, it's no. just for their school. Okay. Just for their school. So Arizona How? Masters of Poetry, look it up and see if you can join. You still have time. You still have time 28th. to do that. Yeah. Um, a number of high schools have teams and they have coaches. Mm-hmm. I know uh, Thomas Cooper is doing Westview High School. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know who else. And I'm doing younger kids. Mm. I'm going to meet you, Thomas. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I, I love Thomas. He's one of my newest poetry friends. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he was at that event, the last Arizona Masters of Poetry that I went to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was one of the judges. And then I'm seeing him everywhere. He's at Infuse a lot. That's good. Yeah. That's yeah. good. I, I love Infuse. And yeah. I haven't been in quite some time, and I feel really bad about it. So besides that, how can people follow you? Are you on social media? Plug yourself, man. Plug okay, here, I'll, I'll completely plug myself. You can find me on Facebook. That's M.C. Tristan Marshall. That's my entire social media. Okay. Completely social media. I've never done a book, even though everybody gets on my case about that. You should, yes. Yes, I'm I know. I'm getting on your case, too. Yes, I should do several books. Yes. The first one will be called Tranquil Hell. Go ahead and steal that, somebody. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty much it. I I get out to as much poetry as I can, which with work and everything means one to two poetry things a week, Mm. sometimes three, Mm. but then I might pay for that on the weekends. Yeah, it's hard to juggle. And they all start pretty early. Yes, there are times that I live way out west that I get home, I take a shower, and then I look at it and go, oh, i got to drive now to go to poetry, which is 45 minutes away downtown. Uh And there are times that I go, no, not tonight. And then there are other times, like when I did this uh, competition in in Maricopa. There were 10 different poetry. There were 10 things I wanted to go to that night. And you can only go to one unless you can clone yourself. Yeah, I know. I've been griping about this to everybody that would listen to me because there are 28 to 31 days a month. People talk with each other and schedule accordingly so that we can go to all of your events because we want to support all of your events. Mm-hmm. I get so frustrated when because I'm announcing all these events and when I look on a day that has like six events going on. I think January 11th was one of those days where there were six events going on. I was just thinking, people, we want to go to all of your events. We want to patronize all of your events because you're doing something wonderful for the community. But we can't split ourselves. In any case, we'll gripe about this offline but thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming to Poets and Muses. I really appreciate you expounding on your really deep, powerful poem. Thank you. Thank you. You can find out more about the third annual Hotter Than the Sun Arizona Youth Poetry Festival and the tutoring that Tristan and Thomas Cooper will be doing from the ArizonaMastersOfPoetry.org. Again, that's ArizonaMastersOfPoetry.org. And that concludes the February 24th episode of Poets and Muses. Again, you can follow us at SoundCloud, Instagram, as well as Twitter under Poets and Muses. Please subscribe to our weekly newsletter at the upper right-hand side of our SoundCloud Poets and Muses page. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. Thank you very much for listening, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.